Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become real to us or have more uh, meaning come out of them because we need all the help we can get from the scriptures and there's a real power we can draw from them. I'm your host, Carrie Mulstein, and I'm so excited to have with me again today my good friend and a wonderful scholar and teacher, Dr. Jennifer Lane, uh, who uh, we were students together at BYU and then uh, colleagues at BYU-Hawaii, where she served uh, in administration for a long time. And now she's at the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship or Studies. I can't remember now. Scholarship. Scholarship. So anyway, uh, welcome, Jennifer. It's good to have you with us again. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Love getting to talk about the scriptures together. So our, our uh, audience may remember we talked about the resurrection together, uh, Dr. Lane and I, and um, I feel like that was a fantastic uh, episode. So if you uh, didn't catch that one, you should go back and listen to that one. Um, what else uh, should we know about you, Jennifer? Um, I, I love studying the scriptures. I taught a lo- New Testament for many, many years, and um, I love going back to these texts. It just brings back a lot of memories of questions students had and trying to answer them, even though I'm not teaching right now, what my research position is, um, is exciting. It's just different, uh, but it's, it's really rewarding to, um, to see how the gospel comes through with texts, even though sometimes they're a little complicated and we have to spend time figuring out what's going on, um, that, that it's worth the trouble to get through making sense of the context and textual issues in order to get to the good news of Jesus Christ and his power in our lives. So I'm, I'm happy to have this chance. Yeah, me too. And, and it's nice. There are the, the text we're studying today, which is uh, 1 Corinthians 14 through 16, uh, is wonderful. It does have a couple a couple little tricky issues, to, to some thorns yeah. to try and work our way through. So uh, I look forward to doing that with you. So that'd be fun. Uh, why don't you, I, I guess uh, we can just do as general background. This is the third time that we are going through this first letter to the Corinthians, which uh, by now we've done a bit of background on that, but we're uh, happy to hear anything more from you. So uh, why don't you just uh, jump us in, uh, either jo- driving straight into a verse or context or whatever you would like. Sure, sure. So I, um, starting with, with chapter 14 it feel like a little bit of a letdown because 13 is so beautiful this discussion yeah. of of charity or love and taking on that divine character um and so 14 is more like these almost problem <laughs> issues yeah. and um so paul's trying to think to work with the saints in corinth and help them understand that the spiritual gifts are wonderful we want to seek for spiritual gifts but maybe there's a sense of prioritizing and and also to be careful. I think this helps me understand this question of why, because we think, well, the, the gift of tongues is a real gift to be able to, to have help to communicate in a language other than one's own. And, and so when Paul gives a caution about not necessarily prioritizing that, I think he's, we think about, well, why? I remember you probably had that same experience um, teaching at BYU Hawaii where students come from so many different countries. And um, so having different languages in the classroom and sometimes people would ask, well, is it okay if I say a prayer in my own language? And some people using this chapter as the basis would say, no, no, I just pray in a language everyone knows. Um, And I, I never quite got to that point where I tried to, to insist on that, I said, you know, I, sometimes I mention it, you know, make sure people understand, but at the same time, you know, I want them, you know, they're, they're speaking with Heavenly Father, I want them to feel comfortable, and some people, right. their English wasn't very strong, and they feel more comfortable, and so I thought a lot about, this is very real for me, this is very practical, this question of when it is appropriate to, to, to both to seek for the gift of tongues when is it appropriate to be speaking in languages that people can't understand? And so as, as I've thought through this, because we look just at the very beginning of chapter 14, where, where this in, invitation to follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. It's like, well, we think, well, why is prophecy, first of all, why is that like 
a priority over other spiritual gifts after charity. Of course, charity is the greatest right. of all spiritual gifts. Um, sort of, but putting together, I think this comparison between prophecy and speaking in an unknown tongue. And one thing I and I used to try to help students, and I think it's helpful for us to remember the prophecy isn't so much about seeing the future. We right. we use it that way in common everyday English, but I think Revelation chapter. 19 verse 10 helps us understand why prophecy matters. It's because the spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. It's only through the, the witness of the spirit that we can know that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the savior of the world. There's no other way to know that. And so what we need, first of all, more than anything is the spirit of prophecy. We need to have that personal witness. And so I think that's why this has to come first above, you know, any other gift, and then after that, of course, you keep going forward, trying to take on Christ's nature, which is charity. But but to really um, starting with with that spirit of prophecy, that that personal witness and testimony, I think does make sense um, as a place to start. And then when you have that, I think then that maybe informs why you seek for other gifts. And so the question of why would you want to to I use the gift of tongues to speak in another language. I think to me, the, the the concern Paul has is not so much that sometimes people will pray and other people won't understand it, but I think he's cautioning people to, to not seek for spiritual gifts for the wrong reason. And that there's yeah. a kind of pride that comes in where you're focusing on yourself. You're not focusing on others. You want to show off a little bit. And I like verse 12, where it kind of helps us see why to seek for what we what we should seek for. So he says, even so ye for as much as you're zealous of spiritual gifts. So yeah, it's great. Look for spiritual gifts, seek for spiritual gifts. We need spiritual help. Uh, they're available to us if we're prayerful and according to the Lord's will. But this is the why. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. So it's not about us. Spiritual gifts are never for us. They're for other people that the Lord right. is working through us to bless other people. And that's, I think, a caution. If, if we're doing something for the wrong reason, if we're not doing it to edify others, then then we should watch ourselves. So I, I think that's yeah. a, a helpful understanding of why, sort of to summarize, three quarters of the chapter, I think, comes down to that issue of yeah. why are you wanting this spiritual gift? I think that's so, so important. And, and so with that, even, you know, the gift of prophecy or any gift, and, and we, we find that section 46 also encourages us to seek for right. the great spiritual gifts and so on. But the question is why, and even if we start out with good motives, we have to always kind of watch ourselves to not, yeah. not be doing it for the wrong reason. And I think that yeah. some, some definitions of these gifts. So I like what you were doing with um, the, the spirit of prophecy. So some definitions, are helpful because uh, when our day, at least my experience is most people that I hear when they, or I mean, when they think of the gift of tongues, they think of being able to speak in a, a different, so like being able to speak in Spanish or in mm -hmm. Portuguese or something like this. And that's definitely one aspect of the gift of tongues. Yes. But there's another aspect that seems to be uh, more commonly being experienced in Corinth and, and even in the early days of our church, which is you speak in right. a tongue that nobody knows. And then yeah. sometimes there's somebody there who has the gift to translate and and that seems to be part of paul's point there uh where he's saying it, it's not really going to help anybody if you're speaking in a gift and no one is translating or speaking in a tongue and yeah. uh, no one understands yeah. it and no one translates then all we know is wow that guy's great he had the gift but no one was benefited by it it's not edifying the church yeah yeah, yeah. and that, yeah. that's and, a caution i think yeah to keep us from getting prideful self like it's about showing off yeah. And and I would say with uh, prophecy, I, I I think you're absolutely right that the core of it is that testimony of Jesus. But typically that word has been used, um, at least in the Old Testament, and Paul is very much rooted in this kind of Old Testament idea uh, as not, as you said, not telling the future, but being inspired by God to say something and saying it. And that's going right. to have to be right. rooted. If it's going to be true, it's going to have to be rooted in the testimony of Christ. But uh, if you're uh, called to speak in sacrament meeting and you are seeking direction from the spirit and the spirit says you should talk about this, then you've been blessed with the gift of prophecy, right. uh, at least the way Paul understands it, I think. And, yeah. and that's what he's looking for. 
And that yeah. can be done selflessly or selfishly, right? You, I, I think a lot of us, when we get up to speak in sacrament or something, at least half of our motive is, I just don't want to look stupid. Um, <laughs> and uh, and the uh, other half might be, and I want them to think well of me. And, and then we maybe get a third half. My math is bad here, clearly, but uh, that is... <laughs> is uh turning you know i really want to do what the lord wants and the more we can move that to the forefront i want to bless these people um that's that's i think what paul is is trying to that's where i think he's trying to get us to move so i love what you've said absolutely and that's such an important point because to know what the lord would have people here to to know spiritual things that that is that um the gift of prophecy There, there are things that the lord we know we can know through the help of the spirit we couldn't know by ourselves but it's so that we can bless other people so that we can help he knows what the congregation needs to hear or he knows what a friend needs to hear yes. so we need to do it in the spirit of humility as his instrument not as not kind of showing off and there's the temptation to pride is constant it's always there and you know to have that humility to remember we're doing this to bless other people not to look good because sometimes you know it becomes people say wow it was amazing and you know you get all this praise and think well that it can be distracting and to be be cautious and to be humble to recognize this is a gift that i was given for other people it's not really me and it's not about me so that's i think it's a good warning um, that the principle here is really powerful so i love and again most of the chapter really does wrote on those real in terms of teaching experience and life experience so so i think that's it's even though it's sort of like a you know after 13 and where do you go from there but but those are important practical life issues of, of how do you live and maybe that's part of what charity is about is doing things with the love of god for the right reasons and not being focused on ourselves but that maybe it's charity and practice yeah. is, is doing the right thing for the right reason i think you're right and and in my mind this is why 13 had to come before 14 so i guess we should refresh everyone that 13 was about charity yeah. since you studied that a week ago but um <laughs> uh it it sets that stage what is the real motive what is a pure motive and and this is so basic we come back to this all the time love of god love of each other whether you're talking about covenants commandments whatever else that's that's the basis all the time love of god and each other and it's easy i I think it's easy even to start to love other people for the wrong reason um and uh i mean it's still better to love than not to love but uh, getting the, that pure heart, I guess we could go back to the Beatitudes, yeah. right? Uh, doing things with a, a pure heart. The, and uh, no one should feel bad that they're not. None of us are doing any of this with absolutely pure motives. Even when you we're, really... We're learning. <laughs> that's exactly right. And at least I know uh, this may be confessions, but I know for myself, even uh, when I'm approaching uh, speaking in my ward or in some other place. And I start out saying, you know, what, what do you want me to say? What do they need to hear? And that kind of a thing. But it's pretty hard, even in the midst of it, as you're praying and speaking to not have, okay, I hope that, uh, that they like me. I hope that they like what I'm saying. Uh, you know, that's, that's the natural man in us and that's okay. Uh, We're not, yeah, we're not, we're not perfected yet. Um, and, but this is the, if you're not, thinking and struggling against it then you probably are just falling prey to it so if you're recognizing that you need a struggle don't feel bad about it that's a good place to be and yeah. and keep uh trying to do this with as pure motive as possible while we slowly 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 root out with the help of god and christ this uh self-centered tendency that yeah. all human beings have I, I like what you said this should be maybe everyone's mantra it's not about me Right. It's just yeah. not about and that's the learning. Learning that is is a long term process. I think yeah, it, a lifetime to, process Yeah, to take on because that's, you know, the father and Christ live for us and learning to live for them and for others is is learning to take on that 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 pure love. And it's it's a growth, definitely a growth process. Yes, it is. Um, So so there's one before we go to 15, there's there's. Right near the end, there's a verse that will 
always be distressing. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I think when we put in context both of the, the entire epistle and also the verses around it, and also with the help of Joseph Smith translation, we can get a little bit more. But but I think it's worth talking about because this these are things that can is very can trip people up. So verse thirty four, where um, at least in the King James version, we have the translation: "Let your women keep silence in the churches; is not permitted unto them to speak. They're commanded to be under obedience to say the law." Well, first of all, we got there's the Smith translation where um, sort of that clarification: not permitted them to speak. He changes it to rule. Um, so, but but we also even just from the text itself. So in in First Corinthians chapter eleven verse four, Paul talks about um, women who are praying and prophesying, right. and so that's already it's already clear that what whatever this verse we have this problem of the transmission of text, and so we don't know exactly what did Paul say, what did Paul mean. It, it's almost impossible to get back with absolute clarity to every you know when, when we run into these problem texts um but it's clear i think from all of first corinthians that the women in that time period were praying they were prophesying but we also have to remember and i think this is is this helpful for us two things one is that this is a different time period it's a different culture um and so what, what was normal among the saints in Corinth may not have been normal among saints other places. So we have these regional differences, sort of so, sort of what are these people bringing from their culture that shapes the way they think, the way they act, um, the relationship between men and women at that time period are not binding on us. I mean, the, this we're reading a historical text about a historical place. And as Latter-day Saints, I think this is the second piece. One is we're looking at historical texts about historical people, but we're also, as Latter-day Saints, the Bible is not our only source of direction. And so I think for people who are in traditions that are so, like they have nothing but the Bible to go on, then this becomes very formative and it can actually, I think, in sad ways, um, but they, if they take the text seriously, if they have nothing else to do work with, we, we don't have, we're not in that situation. So we have modern day prophets. Um, we have, you know, we just look at how do we do things today? Um, this, this clearly is not the case there. So this idea that it's a shame for women to speak in the church is like, no, we've, we've never been that way. When women have been speaking and teaching the beautiful collected volume that came out women uh, sort of the women at the pulpit um collection yeah. of 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 women throughout the restoration beautiful talks um that kate holbrook i think jenny reader put together is is a powerful and you know seeing people like you know eliza snow and you know they were teachers of truth um emma of course you know from the very beginning so this yeah. is not Susie young Gates. whatever yeah, this is not art. I mean, people do take this and have followed it in certain religious traditions, but it is not our religious tradition. We don't we don't have that at all. So, so I don't think people should let that um, be distressing, either historically or textually. As far as how does that how do we feel about women teaching, preaching, and even leading? So, the, the, I think that you know, even we might get tripped up with Joseph Smith and the rule. Yeah. And I mean, clearly, okay, the apostles and the prophets, um, you know, there there are certain positions of leadership that require people to be ordained to priesthood office. But as far as presiding, I mean, it depends what we mean by rule, right? So there's that, yeah. but then the presiding, if Relief Society president presides yes. over Relief Society, the primary president presides over primary the young women president presides over the young women's organization so so again again how do you understand rule is um yeah it yeah. we it's I, I don't think that again our practice our doctrine that make this i don't say it's a non-issue i know because some people it really just grates on them um but but i think we can take it maybe with a big big grain of salt <laughs> Yeah. And to say, you know, this is this whatever it was, 
made sense for Paul and the people of his time, as far as we can tell with the text we have, but it's not, um, it's not something that we need to feel is, is speaking to us in terms of some kind of authoritative voice. Yeah. And, and I think it is important to, to recognize, like you say, we don't understand uh, everything that was going on. Clearly, women were doing a number of uh, very important teaching and other things. But there, uh, we also have to understand that everyone there, including Paul, were a product of their time. And hopefully exactly. we can have some charity with that, because I suspect that, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, my children and grandchildren will look at, at me, who I think is quite uh, progressive on these issues and so on. And we'll say, wow, what a product of his time he was. Yeah, and uh, yeah. as I do with uh, some of my parents and grandparents, who I think are wonderful, incredible people, like I can't help but think of this uh, uh, funny story if we're just going to try and understand yeah. um, culture. Uh, my wife's grandparents, who are some of the most Christ-like people I know, and I, I love them in every way. And I, I remember as they were getting older and they'd moved from Idaho down close to us. And so we were doing a lot to help take care of them. And I would go and mow their lawn and mm -hmm. uh, clean up things and so on. And then I'd come in uh, they'd, to visit and say goodbye and get a drink of water. And uh, and one day my grandma said to my wife, she said, I, I just, uh, I, you, your husband is such a great man. I just don't know why he wears his hat in the house, right? Because I'd be out mowing the lawn with a hat on and then I'd come in and right. it never even occurred to me I should take it. Right. But she was quite distressed by that um, because, the, and that's just a cultural gap yeah, between the two absolutely. of us. That maybe taking your head off is a better thing. I don't know, but I didn't think but it was important. In, that, in the culture that they grew up in, it meant something, whereas yeah. we, it really doesn't mean anything for us anymore. Yeah. And so that I think, you know, and in this world where, you know, in a kind of a Greek environment, you know, women often weren't out, you know, that, that, yeah. that what it meant for a woman to be doing something publicly might be scandalous or shocking. And so what it meant for them, was different than what it means for us. And so I think that that's that kind of cultural that we are right. and they are and all of us are inevitably, even the Lord's servants and chosen apostles and prophets are still, you know, you have that kind of historical context that we work through and the Lord works with us in our, you know, embeddedness in whatever culture we happen to be right. in. He's perfect. He's beyond that, but we're not because we're humans and that's part of being human is that you you grow up in a particular culture paul did and um yeah. every generation is going to have things that people look back and say what because what's wrong with that culture yeah. changes right <laughs> expectations yeah. change norms change and so the meaning of actions change and so what it meant to do something then doesn't mean the same now and so doing the thing is has a different that's exactly it, right. It acts, it functions differently. So, may, so perhaps someone doing, and apparently not speaking at all, because certainly we know that was happening and Paul approved of that, but whatever it was that he didn't want to have happening here right. was kind of akin to him, to uh, to me wearing a hat in the house at, at these grandparents' house. I think it's also, and as it you said- a little shocking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just meant something different to them. It meant disrespect. Yeah. and it, uh, Exactly. So anyway, um, yeah. and it's I think it's, as you said, it's also important to look at what's happening today and even see that we're, I think we're having some progress today. Like there is so much emphasis on, and this even speaks to the idea of, of women ruling or whatever, like in, in leadership councils, making sure we yes. hear from both men and women. There's such an emphasis on that today that there wasn't so much a while ago. 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and that ago. doesn't mean that they were yeah. all wicked or something like that. It means we're all coming to understand better. But I, I think uh, we live in a day where we really are trying to do well at this under prophetic direction. Um, and, uh, I mean, president, uh, Ballard has spoken about this as much as anyone ever has, uh, and always, and always is counsel with your counsels and include everybody here, all the voices. I mean, he's been saying this for decades and decades. He really is, uh, I think lead has been leading out with that vision. For a I long agree. Time. I absolutely agree. And so I think that having, as you said, having modern prophets informs us what we really should be understanding and and we can uh, understand uh, that yeah. there was something else going on here. Yeah, and and I think that that 
comes back to like, what can we, what is applicable to us? And yeah. there are a couple of verses, I think 33 and 40 capture that sense that this is something that is a constant, even though culture changes from generation to generation, but these are truths that are constant for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. And then verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, what is decent and in order might shift a little bit from culture to culture from time to time, but that God directs his servants and how, and I, I would use that example at the beginning of the semester with, with students. I would, because I wanted to help them understand why keeping the honor code and especially dressing grooming was a blessing and not a burden. <laughs> and so I, I put up pictures of people with different faith traditions, but that dressed extremely conservatively, whether it was someone like a Mennonites or people who were wearing habits or um, hijab or something, you know, to say, these are, these are people of great faith, people that are willing to dress differently and to act differently than the world acts because of their particular understanding of scripture and of what modesty looks like. Now, I said in every single one of these traditions, there's a spectrum and there's a debate and like, what does this look like? And so right. within Judaism, there's a spectrum. Within Islam, there's a spectrum. Within Christianity, there's a spectrum because each of these religious groups are working from texts and there's debates over how do you interpret the text. Right. And then I say, well, what makes us different? Why don't we have to do this? Is because we have don't just have a text. We have modern prophets who can let us know this is what's appropriate for whether it's 2003 or 2023 or 1993 or 1893, that what's appropriate is going to change. And that's why having modern prophets is such a blessing. It, because if we follow this principle of the Hasidim, for example, what they, they're dressing the way people did back in the 17th and 18th century, and they want to hold on to that. And the same thing is true with other, like the Mennonites, um, because they're holding on to, this is what holiness looks like, is the way our ancestors dressed. That if we did that, we'd be dressing like the pioneers, but we don't have to, because we have living prophets who can help us, that the Lord can continue to reveal what is appropriate in our day, just like the way, you know, the garment used to go yeah. down to your wrists and your ankles, because that was appropriate. That's what modesty looked like in the 19th century, but it doesn't today. And so, but we're not locked into the, the past or a text to inform us of what God wants. We can hear from living prophets and apostles, what it is the Lord wants us to do today. So I think it's just an extraordinary blessing, this principle that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. It, through living prophets, we don't have to fight over texts. We don't have to fight over these issues. We can have the kind of clarity and focus. And now it's it's even more and more principle-based, right? That The shift in the strength of youth from, okay, no, yes, to like asking us to think, what is, what is going to be virtuous and lovely and good report? What is going to show that we're taking the name of Christ upon us? I mean, that that we're learning how to live as disciples of Christ in our time, in our place. And, and so what that looks like might be slightly different from place to place. And I think that's part of the beauty and the inspiration of that kind of model that's not like one size fits all for the entire church because there are different cultures. And what is appropriate, dating at 16 is appropriate in the US, but maybe someplace else that that's way too early and it's scandalous. And so- it's not appropriate. Uh, good. Very good. So I love that. They had done decently and in order. They're very good. Yeah. So, so I think that's, yeah. So I just feel like these are really just relevant questions and worth, worth digging into and thinking about. And um, this is my little soapbox that I would start the semester with, <laughs> uh, well, but it's it, great. It really, I think it just is, a, I feel grateful to know, you know, that God, is not the author of confusion and that living prophets and continuing revelation and as well as personal revelation and that, that alignment um, helps us do what the Lord wants us to do today in our time, in our context. Very good. So. Very good.
let's talk about chapter 15. <laughs> yeah, which in, it, to me, in many ways, seems like the crux. This is what Paul's leading up to in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, this is this is a really, really, this is where we talk about place and context and culture and how it, it seeps in and it it changes the way what seems normal to us. And I think to understand chapter 15, we really have to under, we have to go back to the Greek cultural thought world and the, the role of Plato, because it, it, people, even if they're not well-educated throughout the, the Greek world, and this is part of the Greek world, people are going to just have some general assumptions about like what is reasonable, what is normal, and what is like no way. And the idea that you would want your body back is completely, uh, it's almost unthinkable in a, a world that that's based on this idea that the body is a prison, and that your spirit, so this goes back to Plato, that your spirit wants to be free of the body. Everybody just these shared assumptions in the Greek cultural world, that this platonic, we call platonic dualism, that the, the spirit is trapped by the body, that it's in a prison, to be, to be free is the goal. And so here comes Paul teaching these people that, well, you're dying, you get your body back, and Jesus died, and he got his body back, and everyone's like, what why would you think and it just does it's so hard for them to make sense of that that they keep wanting to push it aside it's embarrassing it's um it just it it goes against their cultural assumptions about what is real and um it's 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 like it's very countercultural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a place people. like Corinth, which is in Greece, right? I mean, this is uh, not far from uh, Athens, relatively speaking. Um, yeah. uh, it's probably seen as like an embarrassing doctrine. Like, oh, please, that, that's Very that's so back so. back yeah, water. Don't um, you don't yeah. want your friends to know that you belong to people that think this way, and 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 it's people. It's it's sort of something people want to leave behind, and so this entire chapter is. Paul, and I think it's very carefully structured where he's kind of working through like how this question of how do you persuade people whose perspective is changed by society's assumptions? So this is a very practical thing. We don't have these assumptions. We have other assumptions, but he's working through. And so I've, I've got a little list here thinking through like, how does he structure this? He starts with the beginning is in verse two and four, like here's the core, core gospel message that so remember so verse two remember keep in memory what i preached unto you remember that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures remember that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and he says the scriptures here he's not talking about the new testament he's talking about the hebrew bible he's talking about or for them the septuagint because they'd be using the greek language bible (laughs) um he's talking about the old testament and so that that this so he's talking about this is the good news that this is salvation comes through christ redemption comes through christ it's like that is the first thing remember this core gospel message christ came to save us and and so part of it he's like he's putting in there that that part of that witness is that he's come to he's died for our sins but that this rising is part of a scriptural witness as well so i think he's trying to root that in you know the scriptures give a witness of that so this scriptural witness of the good news you can't separate redemption from sin and redemption from death which they're they're not thinking those terms but he's saying you need you need to start thinking in these terms because the scriptures think in those terms that this is um that that according to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose the third day. So he yeah. starts with that core scriptural witness. And then he goes from scriptural witness to contemporary witnesses. Yeah. So he lists all of these people. He says, it's not just in the scriptures. People saw him. Like people saw the risen Lord. Jesus Christ as a resurrected being was seen of Cephas or Peter and of the 12. He was seen of above 500 brethren at once. And some of them are actually, he says, not just some, most of them are still alive, the, yeah. whom the greater part remain unto the present. And some, some passed away, but most of these, they are living witnesses, eyewitnesses of a resurrected Jesus Christ. And then he was seen of James and, um, and then he gives his own personal witness. I have seen him. Now he, he didn't see him quite the same way. Like he wasn't there during the 40 day ministry. Um, so he saw him more as in a 
sort of a personal appearance, no. but he is he is a witness. That's part of his apostolic role is to be a witness of the resurrection of Christ. We know that from Acts, right? That that's part of the role of the right. apostles to witness the resurrection of Christ. And and I, and so, I find so it starts this... with witness. Yeah. And I find this to be uh, touching to, to some degree. I, I, Paul really shares this just about every time he teaches and every time he writes this, th that conversion story for him and his personal knowledge, not only that Christ was resurrected because as a Pharisee, resurrection is kind of a, a, a standard not tenet, a right? Um, yeah. But that it is Christ who is the Messiah who is resurrected, right? That That's a big deal for him. I find this particular account really, really interesting. Again, like you say, Cephas, which is uh, Aramaic for a rock, and Peter is Greek mm -hmm. for rock or Petros, so mm -hmm. same guy. But the one that's the most interesting to me, it seems like he's gone through all those that saw Christ during his 40-day his ministry when he gets mm -hmm. to like the 500 and most of them are still alive. And then he says he was seen of James. Now, I think this has to be James, the brother of Jesus, who's in Jerusalem, because mm -hmm. the other James is included when he says, then of the twelve. Yes. Um, and this seems like it's also post 40 day ministry. I, I'm not I don't know that we yeah. can tell for I sure. Think so. but... No, I think the language there is after that. I think yeah. the beginning of seven, it does suggest that this is post 40 day ministry. So he's revealing himself as a resurrected being to particular individuals. We know that the, the his brothers weren't necessarily believers first. They became believers later. Yeah. And so that would that would reinforce this. Yeah, and that's um, a story I would love to know. There's some powerful story because it is, as you're reading Acts, it's amazing. You're like, okay, James, the uh, Peter, James, John, he dies. And then you've got James, the brother of Jesus, and he is a force to be reckoned with. He is a strong, powerful leader in Jerusalem. And somewhere in there, where you put that together with this, somewhere in there, there's a story of the conversion of James that I wish we knew. And that's tangential to this, except for that it it's, uh, I, it, I think Paul doesn't feel completely alone in being mm -hmm. a leader who saw the resurrected Messiah after everyone else and all the normal people who had been part of this for a long time. Right. Uh, although he does still feel like, I mean, James obviously knew Jesus, he's his brother, but, or at least half brother, but so he does but, but feel alone, like last of all, yeah. it's me, but, but I yeah. think he includes James, but I'm, this is me reading Paul's mind, but I think he includes James partially because see, I'm, uh, there is someone else like me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that it, it really makes sense of the way this is structured. And and it, it is interesting in verse seven, because it makes you think, what does it mean then? And then of all the apostles, because he would have, the, the apostles would have been part of the 40 day ministry. So what does he mean by apostles yeah. in verse seven? And I don't have an answer to that. It's just yeah. interesting. This might be small a apostles, everyone who is being called people. to go forth. Uh, yeah. and, and they've been seen because the 12 were included in the right. group above. And he yes, seems to be exactly. making a difference between the 12 and apostles. So so it's another sense of people who are that are sort of missionaries and, and are witnesses that are given yeah. this witness of the risen Lord and that and he is one of them. And yeah. and is James. James is too. <laughs> and yeah. so he had at least to get the name of someone else, which I think is a really important part is understanding this early first century Christian. You know, like what what did what is the church experience of people who weren't there with Christ during his mortal ministry that, that we're getting a, a glimpse of that here in these verses? And, yeah. and it goes to this idea of witnesses. And you have generations of witnesses, just like we have people that were there with Joseph and the first. But then every generation can have a witness and that we can right. come to know, even if we weren't there. And I think that that, you know, like maybe among the saints in Corinth, well, we weren't there. We weren't, you know, we're not from there. You don't have to be from there and you don't have to be from that time to have a witness. And it goes back to the, the the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, that spiritual witness is available to anyone, anywhere. And, and in, in some special cases, it's more than just the spiritual witness that Christ actually can and does appear as a resurrected being to people face to face. Yeah. So- He's giving that witness because he has that witness. And, and it's so, very he, important to him. Yeah, that's that's his, you know, he's ordained to that. That's, I think, as an apostle with a big A, you know, that that is it's a special um, responsibility. 
And so he starts with witness, witness of the scriptures, witness of living people. But what's interesting here, and, and it's beautiful. I mean, we could go on, like you say, about how formative it is. You look at verse 10, and you see how, how changed he is because what he knows. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. So he's he's given his life to live out um, and to be worthy and to show forth the truth of what he's experienced, not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So he he's a living witness um, of the truth of his experience, his encounter with the risen Christ, the risen Messiah, Jesus, the son of God. And, but, but it's interesting here because right now it's, it's going to shift. So looking at verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, he moves from making sort of a direct, um, you you can know this because other people have seen it. And now he's shifting to, which I think is very appropriate with a Greek audience, he's he's shifting to reason. He's, yeah. he's shifting to logic. He's like, let's talk about this. Let's think about this. What are the logical implications of Christ not being risen? So like, hypothetically, what if he weren't risen? What would follow from that? So he's getting to use reason, which is going to be something that's going to come more naturally given their cultural background. To say, if there be no resurrection, if Christ be not risen. So and then he, he kind of helps walk them through what follows and, and hopefully hoping that they will see, wait a second, I don't want to go there, that this is not, because if there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then everything we're telling you is pointless. It's vain. (laughs) And we're false witnesses. Don't believe us um, because we're lying to you. So, so that everything, you know, that he's saying everything about everything that you value, everything that's good hinges on this one thing that you think you can't swallow, (laughs) which is the resurrection of Christ. Because if that's not true, then none of this is true. And Including, and I think this is where he gets to that, including you're yeah. in your sins and you're going yes. to perish, right? And that's the key. He started with it. If we go back to verse three, the good news, and I think they've all experienced this. And this is this experience with a spirit that bears witness that we're forgiven, that we're at peace. That's how part of how we know that Jesus is the Christ is through yes. that spiritual witness that we've experienced forgiveness and peace and reconciliation. So he starts in verse three. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures. And he comes back to this. And like you said, I think 17 is the most important verse here. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So that you can't separate redemption. This is, this is more using Book of Mormon language or Old Testament language, which isn't as familiar for them. But the, if you're not redeemed from death, you're also not redeemed from sin. Yep. That that we that they come together. So Christ, Christ, he's he's helping them see you cannot throw this out. As as strange as it seems to you, as culturally uncomfortable as it seems to you, as embarrassing as it seems to you, that that Christ being resurrected is taking his body, his spirit and his body being brought back together again, which sounds crazy from a Greek point of view. That that you cannot get go let go of that because if you let go of that, you let go of everything that spiritually you have received through Christ. And so I think of, you know, contemporary parallels are extraordinary. They're going to be things about whether it's the gospel, the church or teachings of prophets and apostles. You think that's really, I'm struggling with this and it doesn't make sense in my culture. And it it's embarrassing. And it's not the way we see things now and say, well, if we let go of these things, you know, whether it's, you know, the law of chastity or things that these like, uh, they see this is core to this idea of holiness. And this is core to the idea of God being asking us to leave the world and live a new way. And it's going to sound embarrassing and it's going to be hard to swallow and people are going to make fun of you and you're going to look weird. But but if you let go of this idea of holiness and leaving the world and, and keeping the commandments, then you're letting go of God and Christ and and all the good things that come because we can't really tease it apart. Yeah. And I think that's what's exactly what they're struggling with is, is 
seeing this this connection. Paul just saying, you got to see the connection that you really. This is not pick and choose. It's not like yeah, it's not cafeteria style Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that 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 some things are are so central to this idea of oh, obedience. Like for us in our day, obedience, humility, living what God is asking us to do. You, you can't separate that from the good news of Christ saving us for sin because he's to, coming to save us from our sins, not in our sins. And um, and this is the same thing here. He's saying Christ is coming to save, but this is how he's saving. He's saving not just through his death. He's saving through his resurrection, yeah. that the redemption isn't complete. Like everybody dies, even dying for the sins of the world without the resurrection. It's not complete that that and his being risen is part of the redemption and they just haven't because it's it's so different from their culture they haven't completely seen how christ's resurrection is and this is where he he then moves on to the good news right that it now is christ risen that he's risen and that he's lifting us up to this better life that he's become the first fruits of them that slept by man then he goes into this analogy again sort of reasoning but analogy by man came death, by man also came the resurrection, as an Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So this new life in Christ is tied to the resurrection. You can't get the new life in Christ without also accepting the resurrection. Yeah. And that they thing, you've got to see this, this, the good news that you love, it comes through the resurrection. It's not in spite of the resurrection, it's because of the resurrection. Oh. And that's, his, so he's making them rethink the that all of the goodness that that he's coming and he's delivering the kingdom to God and he's going to rule and, and reign, it's all through his having overcome death and taking up his body again in a, a glorified, this is where he goes to the, the next part of the chapter. He's sort of like, they're kind of like, uh, it's, it seems like because they're they're mental like as this zombies like what is happening a body and a spirit being that sounds yeah. gross and he's saying no no it's not well, and think about it i mean not, all, all our bodies aren't yeah. that great right now we, I, i'd yeah. rather not be trapped in this body for yeah. eternity exactly and so he's saying you've got to rethink what this is that it's not what kind of body and this is like we jump a little bit but in verse 35 he says that some men will say how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And it's this question that their vision of corruptible and imperfect and limited, you don't want that back. Yeah. He's like, yeah. okay, I'll give you that. We don't want that back, but that's not what we're talking about. So he's reframing resurrection. Like they're thinking resurrection is like the walking dead and yeah. creepy and nasty. Like, no, 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 no. That, that this is like planting a seed in the earth and it's going to grow up and become something completely different um that it's connected right like the, the plant that grows from the grain that when thou sowest verse 37 thou sowest not the body that thou shalt be but bare grain that may chance weed or some other grain so you put the body in the in the earth but what's going to come up from the body isn't going to just be the body it's going to be something beyond what we yeah. can now understand yeah. and and so yeah he's, he's he's trying to resolve their concerns to use kind of like missionary language from our day <laughs> i don't know if the missionaries today talk about resolving concerns but it's really what he's trying to do here he's saying he's he's talking through this verse 39 all flesh is not the same flesh you know like there's there's and this is i think part of his language of heavenly and not earthly and where he talks right. about sort of celestial and terrestrial like he, here he's using language of there, there's earthly bodies and then there's heavenly bodies and we're not going to get our earthly bodies back we're going to get our heavenly bodies and that's different they're glorious bodies they're not corruptible bodies so he's he's trying to help them reframe you can let go of your misapprehensions about resurrection that's not what we believe don't don't worry about that we believe in glorious resurrection and celestial resurrection that that's a different kind of body than what you have been afraid of yeah and it's so so beautiful and important i mean i i, I know i've got i'm getting older there are things i'd be happy to have <laughs> happy in different areas with my body <laughs> yeah. but I, I have friends that 
uh, have MS and, and friends that, you know, my dad had Parkinson's and that kind of thing. We yeah. don't want those bodies back. We Absolutely. definitely don't want those. Um, yeah. uh, but fortunately that's not what we get back. And so, and, and with, when you throw in Greek myths and some of the things, you know, like, Oh, but we might be thirsty for all of eternity, right? Yeah. If we, if we didn't live well, well, all right. I can understand maybe why you don't want to have your body when you, when you see, uh, some of the beliefs that were part of their culture. Um, and it seems to me that Paul is doing two things and, and you've really kind of captured them both, but maybe we can relate them to ourselves a Absolutely. little bit. Uh, he's using resurrection to understand Christ. And this is absolutely crucial. We all need that view, but in the same way that to some degree, we use the book of Mormon to understand the restoration where we say, if the book of Mormon is true, then Joseph Smith has to be a prophet. So these other things he say, says are also yeah. true, and the prophets that succeed him are also prophets, right? So you just yeah. need to find out that the Book of Mormon is true. And I think that's true for Christianity in general. If the resurrection is true, if what we're saying is true, we saw a resurrected being. If that is true, then all of the rest of it is true. If it's not true, just like we say, okay, if Joseph Smith made up the Book of Mormon, then why would we believe him in any, anything else, right? If yeah. Christ isn't resurrected, don't believe another thing we're telling you. Um, yeah. And but to, but then we also say it's not just that the Book of Mormon is true; it's that it changes your life, and all these promises are like President Romney and President Benzett had that, that you're, oh. you'll have greater peace and happiness in your home, and and so on and mm -hmm. so on. Uh, that's what I think he's saying with this resurrection, that it's not yes. just that you get resurrected, you're resurrected better. It's so much better. You've got a better future than what your, your current present is. And that's yeah. what we need to look forward to. Right. To move from, this is something to be ashamed of and something to, to like push away to like, when you embrace it and you realize, yes, it's true. Then all of a sudden you realize it's not only true, it is amazing and so helpful and so powerful and i think the analogy you draw is just a is a perfect one that when you you go get past and, and it comes through that personal witness that that again going back to you have the only way to know is through the spirit that no one can prove to anybody that jesus christ is risen and nobody can prove to anybody that the book of mormon is the word of god and joseph smith is a prophet of god and that Russell Nelson is a prophet of God today. These are things we have to know through the spirit. But when you know through the spirit, then you can say, I know, and I'm going to live up to the knowledge I have. And all of a sudden, the more you do, the more you realize that what previously seemed weird and embarrassing is now the, the best gift ever, because yeah. it gives this promise of new life and better life. And then again, like I have that witness as well from personal study of the Book of Mormon that when you realize, yes, it's true, and I'm going to take it seriously and study it every day, it becomes this like the source of spiritual refreshment and yes. life daily yes. through. And like this is a gift to get us through where to where we want to be. And if we just leave it on the shelf and say that's weird, other people don't believe in it, we're we're shutting ourselves off from the power and life. And I think this is where they, they find themselves like they're putting something that God gives them on the shelf. This is weird. No one else believes in it instead of embracing it and then letting it transform them. Because I yes. think the hope of the resurrection is, gives us power to live out, to live through the hard things of mortality because we know that it's not, this isn't forever. And Christ has overcome everything. Elder Christofferson, sometime in the last, I'd say eight years, maybe he gave an amazing talk on the resurrection where he walked through, he did exactly that because of the resurrection. And then just point by point by point, like all of these things are possible. And so when we grasp the reality, and this is, a, Paul is inviting people, grasp the reality of this, and then you'll see so much that you have confidence in Christ your confidence in Christ without the resurrection won't be there, but your confidence of Christ, a risen Christ, that gives real confidence because he has overcome all things and he can help us overcome all things. And that that witness is so powerful and that it's, it's transformative and he's, he's inviting them 
to get past the things that make them uncomfortable and to embrace the the truth of of Christ in a deeper, more life-changing way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a it's an amazing 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 i mean we go verse by verse but it is it's just such a powerful thing where he ends and i'll maybe we'll just end because i think the the musical setting and and 16 is there but part of 16 is like carry on carry on you know yeah. like hey say hi to these guys you know, and say hi to yeah, those guys yeah. and <laughs> you know so it's yeah. it, doctrinally speaking it's, it's more like it's just a personal communication but the end yeah. of 15 for me and i think of this these musical settings, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the good news. And when we embrace the resurrection, we're embracing Christ's victory. And just in our days, when we're embraced things, whether it's a Book of Mormon or, or teachings of prophets and apostles, it means seem uncomfortable. But when we embrace them, we're embracing victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, because everything that comes from God is bringing us more into that life that is victorious over sin, and that is bringing us closer to taking on the divine nature. And we have, there's going, of course, there's going to be, you know, counter pressure against that, <laughs> Because it we have it has to be we have to to choose it and then move forward with it to have that life in Christ and and that is I think the witness here of of chapter fifteen that when we embrace Christ we have victory through Him. So so beautiful and so wonderful and I, I mean probably we should just end there but uh, maybe I can just. Uh, encourage people sure. so in our day typically resurrection is not the embarrassing thing um yeah. but there are other things uh, and you should think of what is the doctrine that i'm embarrassed of in front of uh some of my friends or uh, online or something like that and then put it in in context and, and realize that one day it will seem as silly to be embarrassed of that as right now, it might seem silly of us to be embarrassed of the resurrection, right? I mean, clearly there are some people who say uh, resurrection, that's a colloquial issue, but it's its accepted well enough. It's not something we have to say like, oh, weird that we believe that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are more people who do believe it than than uh, don't probably, but um, uh, maybe that's not true, but but it seems like it. Anyway, uh, but there are, there, every single one of us has something that we say, oh, that's kind of odd. I don't know that I want people to know I believe that. Um, gospel truths enrich and empower and enliven when we embrace them. And yeah. uh, we rob ourselves of help and power when we hide them. And if we can see how true that is of what Paul is teaching about the resurrection, I hope we can find some other element in our life that we can apply that to and say, yeah. okay, I need to embrace this as well. Uh, because the resurrection yeah. is real. And as Paul says, thank God, thanks be to God that it is real. Yes, and and Paul gives us tools. I think as we're struggling to work through those things, we we go back to the witness of the scriptures, and the the truth of like the gospel. What do we really know? If we know that, we start with that, and yeah. then the the witness of prophets and apostles, and then reasoning. Like let's think this through. What are the implications? And so he, these tools that he's working through the people here to help them think differently, to get past some of the cultural assumptions and embarrassments that, that these can be tools that we can use as well to, to be, to find for ourselves um, the a personal witness of what, what it is that we may be struggling with because when we find what's true, that we find Christ more fully and we have victory in him more fully. And so it's worth a struggle um, to, to try to find answers to things that we may be struggling with. Amen. Thank you, uh, Jennifer. Uh, so grateful for both your ability to teach and your ability to testify and to edify. I think you have edified us to, as Paul would be happy about that. Um, and uh, hopefully 
We'll uh, find our audience uh, uses this to in turn go out and edify others and we'll all be edified together. So thank you. My pleasure. We, we all need each other. And, and I think as we mutually testify of Christ and learn of Christ, that, that we are stronger together as his people. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for this chance to um, just to enjoy the power of the word and to, to learn from Paul and to learn from the spirit together. So thank you. And, and our modern prophecies. Thank you. Amen. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we will thank our audience and, and wish you all well. Thank you.